It's Friday, June 12, 2020. From the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. Later this month, the Department of Environmental Protection will hold public hearings on a proposed rulemaking for natural gas operations in Pennsylvania. This new rule will put new methane emission controls on existing gas facilities, including requirements for regular inspections, leak detection, and repair. It's similar to the approach already taken by several other gas-producing states, which has proven effective at lowering emissions at relatively low cost to operators. This would be a huge step forward for Pennsylvania, which happens to be the nation's second biggest gas producer, substantially reducing our output of greenhouse gases. And just in time, there's a brand new batch of data just out, lending new urgency to the question of what the Commonwealth will do about methane. For several years, researchers with the Environmental Defense Fund have been keeping tabs on Pennsylvania's emissions. The last time they issued a report, two years ago, the numbers were startling. Oil and gas operations in Pennsylvania were emitting almost five times the amount of methane officially reported to DEP. We talked about it on this podcast in June 2018. Well, since then, new data and also new analytical methods have come along. And the latest research points to an emissions load estimated to be as much as, get this, 15 times the official DEP inventory, more than a million tons of methane just in 2017. Now, extrapolating that existing pattern into the future, without tighter rules, we're looking at annual emissions close to 14 million tons by 2030. And there's more. EDF scientists have also documented upwards of 63,000 tons of smog-forming volatile organic compounds, VOCs, released each year from oil and gas operations in our state. Health impacts linked to those pollutants, including respiratory and heart problems, are especially concerning in light of COVID-19. Hillary Hall is Senior Manager for Research and Analytics at EDF, and she authored the report published last month. She's here today to unpack the data and put them in a policy context. Hillary, welcome to Pennsylvania Legacies. Well, thank you so much. Why is it important to have good data in the first place on methane and on VOC emissions? And why has that been such a difficult uh, thing to track in the past? Well, um, methane and VOCs are both emitted during the production, processing, and transport of oil and gas. Additional co-pollutants include toxics like benzene and toluene. Natural gas is comprised of mostly methane, a greenhouse gas that is 84 times more potent than CO2 in the short term. Quantifying methane emissions is important in order to understand the climate imp implications of those emissions, as well as to quantify the value of the wasted resource. Um, also, methane is a key driver of climate change and warmer temperatures often exacerbate pollution problems like ozone while worsening the threat of vector-borne diseases, such as Lyme disease, of which Pennsylvania actually has the highest incidence of any state in the U.S. Oil and gas systems also emit volatile organic compounds, VOCs, which are an ozone precursor and adversely impact local air quality. So the fact that Pennsylvania is in the ozone transport region and that the American Lung Association's most recent State of the Air report confirmed that many areas of Pennsylvania struggle with ozone pollution makes mitigating VOCs especially important in the state. Um, thus far, it's been difficult to track methane and VOCs because of the means by which most inventories are compiled. And we'll get into that a little bit later. So for all these reasons and more, this is something that EDF has been tracking for a while now. Uh, the last big analysis of Pennsylvania's natural gas uh, industry was a couple of years ago, 2018. Uh, why the update and why now? Well, um, 
Given our access to new data and the upcoming existing source rulemaking in Pennsylvania, we thought this would be an opportune time to update the inventory and the platform. And we hope those will be helpful to regulators and other stakeholders in the upcoming process. So new data, also kind of new methods, I understand. There's been some research that's uh, that's come along since the last time you all looked at this. That informs uh, informs the analysis this time around. Can you talk a bit about your methodology and the approach you used, um, how it's changed since last time? Sure. Um, so emissions factors, essentially, uh, for the Marcellus were calculated with a gas production dependent log normal equation based on the methods outlined in Alvarez et al. 2018. Using these factors, EDF estimated site level emissions inventories for each production site in Pennsylvania. We then spatially matched the sites from EDS inventory with the sites in the 2017 Pennsylvania DEP production data to assign conventionality. Uh, in other words, to determine whether a site was conventional or unconventional according to DEP. Um, finally, we projected the updated inventory out to 2030 using RISTAT energy production projections for Pennsylvania and historical production data to assess emissions from new and existing sources. Um, it's worth noting here that the Alvarez et al. study I referred to relies on site-specific on-the-ground measurement data in contrast to what industry does, which is used essentially outdated mathematical formulas and assumptions from EPA to guesstimate what their emissions are. So yeah, maybe let's take a step back and and uh, talk a bit more about where this all begins in terms of how you gather the data. Some of it is uh, self-reported by industry. Maybe some of it is, is actively being gathered by DEP, but your approach was kind of a synthesis of all of these things and more, right? Uh, somewhat, yeah. So we've started the basis of this analysis, we started with the Omara et al. 2016 study, which is the same study we used in the um, initial version of the platform. But what we've done here is apply a methodology based on what we learned from the synthesis of the entire Alvarez study. Um, the Omara study feeds into the Alvarez synthesized study of all the measurement data um, that we collected um, over the course of several years in many states and basins across the nation. And what that allowed us to do um, is develop a methodology to more accurately, in our opinion, assign these emissions geospatially in the state. Um, so, you know, between updating the inventory from a 2015 baseline year to 2017 baseline year, um, over which time production increased, uh, among other things, we were more accurately able to assign the emissions across the state to independent well sites. So you said production has increased, uh, you know, in the last couple of years. Last time I was having this conversation with a colleague of yours, the headline was, I believe, five times higher than we thought. It's quite a bit higher this time around. Why is that? Have the emissions increased or, or is it the counting method that's changed? Um, it's both, right? So it's, it's a combination of an increase in production, which um, is associated with increased emissions, but it's also... Um, a factor of how we modeled um, and were able to allocate emissions across the state. So our geospatial understanding and our ability to assign emissions to a particular um, well site was, I, in my opinion, improved. I wouldn't call it a discrepancy between the two inventories. I think what really happened was we have better, more accurate, more recent data, and we have a better methodology to apply. So when we break down the findings a little bit, you know, there's an important distinction, at least at the regulatory level in Pennsylvania, between conventional and unconventional operations. 
the former has already been addressed somewhat in the last couple of years, and now we're looking at regulating uh, existing sources, which is a much bigger slice of the pie, as I understand it. Could you talk a bit more about the difference between these two methods, how that's reflected in the data that you gathered, and how well, I guess, that distinction is understood broadly. Uh, people outside of your field, the general public politicians and everybody that's that's debating this issue right now. Yes, um, that's a great question. Uh, that difference is, in fact, reflected in the data. We use the DEP data to determine which sites were unconventional and which were unconventional throughout the state. And our model applies state rules to each site accordingly. As you noted, um, the state of Pennsylvania regulates currently conventional and unconventional well sites differently. But in the upcoming rulemaking, they don't make that distinction. Um, in the upcoming rulemaking, the distinction is between producing wells and low producing wells. Um, we find that there is a large overlap between the two. So for the most part, a conventional well will be low producing, and for the most part, an unconventional well will be producing. Um, our estimate, however, both this time and last, as supported by the Omara study and Alvarez uh, study, indicates that roughly half the emissions in the state are from conventional facilities, which do not currently report their emissions to DEP. So though DEP has chosen to um, regulate the two differently for new sources through their general permit program, we find that each well type um, in total is responsible for about half of the emissions in the state. And right now, one of the reasons you see the discrepancy between the DEP inventory and our estimated inventory is because um, those conventional facilities do not report emissions to DEP. So while the state's proposed existing source rule, again, technically covers conventional sources, there is a carve out for um, leak detection and repair at low producing sites, which are largely conventional. And this exemption requires less frequent inspections at low producing wells when the data, as I said, makes very clear that they need just as many inspections as unconventional wells. And just to define these terms a little bit more, uh, probably more for my benefit than anything else, but uh, when we're talking about new and modified facilities as opposed to existing ones, right, is it reasonable to think that most of the time we're talking about unconventional methods being used for new facilities and the existing ones are more likely to be conventional production. Does that map out more or less? Yes, that does map out more or less. For the most part, you'll see an overlap with high producing wells, unconventional wells, and new wells. Those typically will have a higher percentage of overlap in that category. Okay. And for the most part, again, this is a generalization, a conventional well is more likely to be low producing and to be existing. There's not a lot of new production or new drilling in the state that is done in a conventional manner. So the hydraulic fracturing and the nature of the depth of the drilling and other elements of the way a well is drilled make it unconventional. And that's what you're seeing these days. And in Pennsylvania, we obviously we have a lot of uh, activity in hydraulic fracturing and unconventional methods that that's more recent. But we have a long, long history of fossil fuel extraction. And it's my sense that a lot of those uh, operators are smaller, independent, kind of maybe mom and pop. I don't know if that would be the right term to use, but there is a distinction to be made between the big guys and the little guys. Yes. And we think there are different approaches for how the state might be able to um, appropriately regulate those, those low producing wells where it doesn't punitively impact the quote unquote mom and pops. 
So we're, we're looking ahead down the road to 2030. This is kind of a whole different operation than when you're observing past emissions. Can you talk about how you made those projections and then explain the, the different policy scenarios that you identified, what happens under each of these three different possible futures that Pennsylvania is headed toward? Sure. So um, first, in order to project the inventory out to 2030, we used state-level um, energy production projections that are generated by Rystad Energy. Um, this looks at um, potential produ or projection production out into the future for Pennsylvania for different resources, including oil and gas. Um, we also used historical production data to assess the emissions from new and existing sources. Um, and not to get into the weeds too much here, but essentially that is to uh, allow us to apply rules for new sources to emissions from new sources and rules for existing sources to emissions from existing sources. And it's important for our modeling. Um, in terms of the three regulatory options that we looked at, um, the first is no state control, which essentially means um, that there is federal NSPS only, so no state action is taken. Nothing further, nothing beyond what we currently have. Exactly. So, so that just tells, you know, that that kind of paints a picture for um, what would happen in the state were the state not to regulate anything at all, and that includes any of the general permit regulations. The second scenario we looked at is moderate control, which is where we do model Pennsylvania standards for new and conventional wells, um, which are the state's current general permits. And then the last one is comprehensive control. So these are more rigorous standards for both new and existing wells. Um, and they can be limited to unconventional wells only or applied more broadly to all wells in the state. So a marked difference between the three scenarios and particularly the, you know, the comprehensive controls, that's where you see the biggest difference, obviously, as you would expect. So let's talk about why that is. What's in the draft existing source rule, which could change, but EDF's position and PEC's position as of right now is we need strong comprehensive controls and, and this rule is a significant step in that direction, right? What's in the rule? What specifically drives these outcomes? Right. So the, the Pennsylvania uh, Methane Data Project underscores just how important it is that Pennsylvania tackle emissions from existing oil and gas infrastructure, um, including low producing wells. As I said earlier, conventional wells, for our estimates, account for about half of the emissions in the state. And um, as we've discussed, there is a large overlap between conventional wells and low producing wells. So the draft rule was published this last Saturday, kicking off a 60-day, 66-day public comment period. And we look forward to working with DEP to ensure that the state adopts a strong final rule, um, including appropriate rules for those low-producing wells. Can you uh, kind of put this in context? Since, I mean, you're national, you look at other states. Where does Pennsylvania's situation compare with others, and particularly those gas-producing states that have gotten a little bit further down this road than we have and have uh, controls similar to what we're looking at putting in place. Uh, what has been the result there? What don't we know that we need to know uh, before we proceed? Well, there are several other states right now that are currently regulating lower producing wells, um, including California, notably, which um, requires quarterly LDAR for every well site in the state, regardless of size, um, throughput or uh, emissions threshold. Uh, Colorado also requires inspections at all well sites um, and Wyoming in the upper Green River Basin in order to address an ozone issue. 
um, which is similar to the ozone issues we discussed earlier for Pennsylvania, requires strong LDAR um, in that basin as well. So, so there are already a lot of states out there that are you know, tackling this issue and, um, and are seeing results because of it. The analysis looks at production on a county level basis. Uh, could you talk a, a little about what, what, what you found there? First of all, why break it down by county? And was there anything interesting that you saw in that breakdown? Well, um, one reason we break it down by county is so that stakeholders who live in those counties who are utilizing the tool can see what's going on around them. Um, what we've included there is our estimates on a county level for emissions profiles, as well as you know production levels and um, oil counts and things of that nature. Um, what we found is that Indiana, Armstrong, Susquehanna, McKean, and Washington counties emit the highest levels of methane together accounting for about 40% of statewide emissions. Um, but I do wanna reiterate that in terms of the way we hope DEP applies rules across the state county differentials don't come into play. We've been talking a lot about methane. That's very much uh, PEC's focus, but volatile organic compounds are also an important part of this picture and a part of the analysis you did. What did you see there, and what do the data suggest about possible health impacts, either impacts that we know about or that could theoretically occur? How, how serious is this from a health standpoint? Well, as I noted earlier, uh, VOCs do impact local air quality by driving the formation of smog, otherwise known as ozone. The effects of ozone pollution is well documented and can exacerbate respiratory diseases such as asthma and emphysema and create heart disease. According to the Center for Disease Control, those types of pre-existing conditions can make people more susceptible to worse outcomes of other infections such as COVID-19. Methane is also a key driver of climate change and warmer temperatures often exacerbate pollution problems like ozone while worsening the threat of vector-borne diseases such as West Nile and Lyme disease, again, of which Pennsylvania has the highest incident of any state in the country. Climate change also leads to strange and severe weather patterns um, and events such as flooding, which threatens the state's agricultural economy. Methane pollution is already responsible for about a quarter of the climate change occurring today. So between um, the emissions of VOCs and methane, as well as other toxins that um, are associated with oil and gas production, um, there are very real and known health impacts. How measurable are those impacts at this point? Would it would we be talking about a much broader study, I imagine, to, to quantify how that would play out and, and assign costs? Yeah, it would. Um, I can tell you that one of the uh, parameters we would look at there would be the social cost of methane, which is similar to the social cost of carbon, uh, attempts to um, quantify the associated health impacts and societal impacts of um, of methane pollution. But we would also want to look at um, the health impacts of air quality issues that arise from VOCs. So what's next for the Pennsylvania uh, data research work? What, what are you going to be looking at going forward? Uh, are you going to continue to update these uh, analyses every two years? Or is, is, is there a set schedule for any of that? Well, we don't have a set schedule, but I will say that EDF has been a leader in the effort to characterize and quantify oil and gas emissions. We have launched coordinated research and analytics projects across the country to investigate and quantify methane emissions from oil and gas processes. So we will continue to apply the best science and technology and update our estimates and thinking as new data becomes available so as to better inform our policy prescriptions in Pennsylvania nationwide. Um, Governor Wolf has set out bold and achievable goals on climate change. So we look forward to working with the administration to help meet those goals by ensuring the adoption of a strong existing source methane rule that cuts emissions across the oil and gas supply chain 
including low producing wells. Hillary Hall with the Environmental Defense Fund. Thank you so much for all your work on this project and, and thanks for sharing some of these insights with our audience today. Absolutely, thank you. the link to EDF's latest methane emissions report for Pennsylvania in the post accompanying this podcast episode on PEC's website at PECPA.org. And there will also post links to more content on the subject of methane in Pennsylvania, including my 2018 interview with David Lyon of EDF looking at the previous round of methane research. That discussion gets into a bit more detail on how gas producers self-report official estimates to the state and maybe more importantly, what those estimates leave out. As we approach this month's public hearings, PEC is actively working to build support for the existing source rulemaking. Keep an eye on the policy section on our website for updates on that effort and on how members of the public can make their voices heard on this very important issue. That's all at PECPA.org. Also on Facebook and on Twitter at PECPA. And that's it for this time. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more Pennsylvania Legacies. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening.